Hello, I'm Todd Starnes, lead pastor of Odessa First Assembly, and I'm grateful that you joined us today. I hope and pray that this message will encourage you and bless you. And remember, you can find more information about us at odessafirstassembly.com. God bless you. You know, never, and I'm sure that many of us agree on this, never have I seen um, division like what I see in our culture right now. I mean, it's, I mean, we are getting to the place, it seems, that people are going to start drawing blood over the way that tomatoes are not pronounced, right? You know, tomato, tomato, potato, potato, you know. I mean, it's really getting to, uh, my perception is getting that bad. Policies, politicians, political parties, social justice, social injustice, immigration, taxes, economy. I mean, it's just getting, it's, the, the divide's getting huge. And I believe that, um, uh, I, I know that some, a matter of fact, I, I have never really tackled this subject uh, in this manner on a Sunday morning. We have, uh, through the years, our seven years here, we, I, we as a church, I, whatever I want to say, we say that, we've had people leave our church because of a perceived political statement that I said. Um, some are just the opposite. I mean, there's people that are using church in the pulpit as a bullhorn um, for politics. I do think that the church first must be known as the church of Jesus Christ. I believe that the spread of the good news is our mission and should be our passion. And that is into our nation and to the world. I believe this, our identity, should not be known as much as politics, but as that we are going to be that shelter, that sanctuary, that place for hurting people, for discouraged people, for lost people to come to Christ. That is what I want to be known for. But I'm going to tell you that your Bible is absolutely full of the church's involvement in government. I mean, there's whole books in the Old Testament about it. Have you ever read First Chronicles or Second Chronicles? Or First Kings or Second Kings? I mean, matter of fact, script or Judges. I mean, even Scripture. And there's a common theme you're going to see through these verses, but I want to go through three verses really quick. They'll be on the screen. Uh, if you have your notes, hopefully if you've got paper notes, you can go to Bible.com, the Version app, or notes are there. But listen, Psalm 22, 28. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. Psalm 33, 12. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, and the people whom he's chosen as his inheritance. Psalm 103, 19, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Aren't you grateful for the theme in all three of those promises? Everything is the Lord's, everything of the earth is the Lord's. Every nation is under his sovereignty. But how about the New Testament? I mean, the New Testament, we see verses. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. First of all, I urge you that, you know, this is Paul writing in Timothy. I urge you that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. Look at verse 2. For kings and all who are in high positions. I mean, Paul is urging Timothy that we need to be intercessors for kings and those who are in high positions. 
Titus chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. It goes on to say, which would be good for our politicians right now, verse 2, speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, be gentle, show perfect courtesy toward all people. Romans 13, 1, let every person be subject to governing authorities. And I just want to remind you, when these verses were written in the New Testament, the, the culture of the day, the government of the day, was the Roman Empire. And I'm going to tell you, the Roman Empire was persecuting the believer. And yet, we see writing of submission to the government. I don't know about you, but I am grateful that we are supposed to be a government by the people for the people. We do have a say in our culture, and that's important to understand. I get it. I understand it. And so, we, so there's a, a, a big contrast of us, of a people under a government versus the believers that were under Roman rule. But you can go through, I mean, Paul himself evoked his, uh, his right as a Roman citizen. I mean, go back and read about the life of Paul and wanting to, I mean, Paul's goal was to preach the gospel to Caesar. I mean, Paul had a, had a, had a target on him, and, and he used being a Roman citizen as part of that. So I believe, and I please, I do not mean this in a derogatory way whatsoever, but to say that politics and for a pastor, a preacher, or for us to talk about our government and church is not biblical and not right is ignorant. It's biblical ignorance. And I know that each of these verses and areas, they have specific meanings and maybe wider meanings. But uh, listen to me. Here's something I believe. And number one, I, if, I may, may, may have should made this the last point. But number one is this. Until the church gets it right, the culture can't get it right. Until the church gets it right... The culture can't get it right. God doesn't skip the church house to fix the White House. That's good preaching now, amen. And all the division and all the debating and all the arguing on social media, listen to me. If we really want to impact and fix our culture and our government, we need to stand up and rise up. And it's more than being a voting block. It's not about the evangelical vote. It's that we, the people of God, vote the values of Scripture. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. And all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty back together again. You're like, what is he? What is he doing now? Well, see, Mr. Dumpty's world became shattered. He needed it fixed. Mr. Dumpty didn't go to friends or family or even his church. He went to the White House. We know he went to the White House because the king got involved. All the king's horses. The king was sympathetic to Mr. Dumpty's dilemma, so he called the meeting of Congress. We know Congress got involved because the king's men got involved. When they came together, they decided to pass a fix Mr. Dumpty law because they wanted to sincerely to make Mr. Dumpty's world a better place to live in. The tragedy of the nursery rhyme is that 
when it was all said and done, all the king's horses and all the king's men could not put Humpty back together again. Why? Because that is the job for the church. It is not for the government, the Congress, to fix us. It's for us to be a light and a salt into our culture. And I'm going to tell you, I am grateful for this nation that I get to call home and that I live. Make no mistake, I am grateful. I am grateful for the, the, the things, that, that the basis, the foundation of our government, the, tr the peaceful transference of powers and and to a when a new elected uh you know officer comes in we are a blessed even in the midst of our issues and the turmoil that we are in right now we are a blessed people and we are a blessed nation and i know i've said many 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 times i am first a citizen of heaven and paul wrote that as a roman citizen and I still believe that, I stand upon that, but I know that God has placed me here now. All right, I, I haven't entered eternity yet. I'm here now. And it really, as I was thinking about it, it reminded me of Jeremiah chapter 29. I'm not going to take the time to read the whole passage. We're kind of going to break it apart just very quickly but let me tell you a little bit what's happening in Jeremiah 29. And maybe many of you immediately you thought about, and which we're going to talk about in a few moments, Jeremiah 29, 11. That's the, right, the theme verse that so many of us are familiar with. But understanding what's happening here is that the children of Israel have been defeated by Babylon and they have been taken into captivity. Matter of fact, in 605 B.C., that's where we see Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being taken to Babylon. And then a contemporary to Daniel is Jeremiah. Jeremiah is a weeping prophet. And so it kind of happened in three stages, this captivity to Babylon. First, we had these rulers, these uh, 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 significant uh, emissaries and men like Daniel and the three amigos being taken to Babylon. And then all the priests in, in Jeremiah's day, that happened about 647 B.C., and uh, to 580, when Jeremiah was writing, they took them in a way. But in 597 is when Jerusalem was finally destroyed. And I want to pick up in verse 4. So Jeremiah is writing, of course, to the, the, the nation, uh, his, his fragmented nation. And he says this, thus says the Lord of hosts. This, I mean, God was using Jeremiah as a prophet. He's, he's writing these words. So this is coming from the Lord, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I've sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Verse 5, look what it says. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Verse 6, take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there, and do not decrease. Well, something else we have to understand is there was a, a, a significant amount of people. See, God has already was bringing the word down that they were going to be in captivity for 70 years. A lifetime. A lifetime. But there are many people saying, no, we're not going to be there for 70 years. And we're really saying, oh, you know, all this is going to work out and we're going to be okay. We're not going to be captives in Babylon. And yet... That's exactly God. Matter of fact, it's very significant that God says, the exiles whom have sent in the Babylon from, from Jerusalem to Babylon, 
he, God says he's involved in this. This is part of his punishment to the people of Israel. And it's significant to me that Jeremiah says, when you get there, increase. When you get there, live life. You see, I believe that as believers, it's kind of in the same scenario, in the same picture. And while we are here, even though we are citizens of heaven, come on somebody, we're here right now. And so what do we do while we're here right now? We live life. And the way we live life is a very simple thing. We let our light shine. We let our light shine. You're going to be surrounded while you are here. It's going to be increasing in our culture. It's going to be increasing in our politics. The hateful environment, the hostile environment in which we as believers live in, let your light shine. You're going to be surrounded by a hostile environment. Be the people of God. You're going to be surrounded by a hostile environment. Stand for the King of Kings and His values and principles, no matter what is said against you. And I know that all of us, we have issues that are close to our heart. But I'm going to tell you there's so many issues that we stand on that really don't matter biblically. He says, you're going, matter of fact, Jesus said, I'm, I'm going to send you to the wolves. I mean, what a thing for our shepherd to say. I mean, that is what it feels like sometimes. But maybe because that we are the salt of the earth, God is expecting some of those wolves to turn to sheep. Come on now. You see, the, how do we do that? We let our, not, okay, see, we're not, we're not to our, at our forefront is not our opinion about a subject. It's what the it's it's what the Bible teaches us and tells us how we stand. Look at John seventeen, John seventeen fourteen and eighteen. I've given them your word. This you know Jesus. He, it's his prayer. We call the Lord's prayer Matthew five. You know our Father which art. That, I don't think that's really the Lord's prayer. I think John seventeen. You know. John, Matthew, when he says, you know, our Father right on heaven, that's, he's given an example of how to pray. Really, Jesus' prayer was John 17. And we see in the middle of that prayer, beginning in verse 14, I've given them your word. Aren't you thankful for that? The world has hated them because they're not of this world, right? We are citizens of heaven. Just as I'm not of this world. Verse 15, look what it says. I do not ask that you take them out of the world. Uh, Jesus, maybe we should have talked before you prayed this prayer. But that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world. This I'm not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. You sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. We are to live out our faith in this world. We are to be a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. We are to be the salt of the earth, the light of the world. And because of the way our governmental structure is, we as believers should carry out that responsibility to the, ba to the ballot box. Are you, are you with me? 
We, the people of God, should take our biblical values and have our say at the ballot box. Preservation. I mean, when the Bible talks about that preservation, that we are the salt of the earth, you understand we are to be, we are the people of God that are supposed to protect our culture against rot, against decay. I love Luke 19, 13, especially the last few words. In the ESV, it says it this way engage in business till I come. Most of us maybe have that memorized as occupy till I come in the King James. And I believe exactly we are here now. There will be a day, whether through, through a trumpet or an angel shouting or through, through a grave six foot under, that we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna translate into eternity. But right now, God's placed us here. He's placed us here. It goes on to say in Jeremiah 29, verse 7, But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find, you, you will, you will find your welfare. Isn't very, I mean, you see what God is asking of his people. You are going to a heathen nation. You're in captivity but pray blessing for them. Pray blessing for them. Pray, pray welfare for them. Because in their welfare, what are you going to find? You're going to find welfare. Listen to me. I, Angela mentioned earlier, listen, we, if there's ever a time for us to come together and pray for our nation, I do believe it is now. And here's the point I want to leave with you. We pray because prayer works. We pray because prayer works. You can always do more than pray after you've prayed. You can never do more than pray until you've prayed. I'm going to say that again. You can always do more than pray after you've prayed, but you can never do more until you've prayed. We must be the people of God that seeks His intervention and prayer. I mean, the last two verses in our text, this passage I'm looking at, verses 12 and 13 of Jeremiah 29. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Why do we seek the Lord's intervention? Why do we want to pray for God to intervene into our culture? Because of Proverbs 21.1. Proverbs 21.1 tells us, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord, and he turns it wherever he will. I'm gonna, let's read that verse again. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord, and he turns it wherever he will. Listen, the president's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord, and he will turn it wherever he will. Congress's Heart is a stream of water in the hands of the Lord, and he will turn it wherever he will. The Supreme Court's heart is in the hand of the Lord, and he will turn it wherever he will. The mayor's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord, and he will turn it wherever he will. The city council is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord, and he will turn it wherever he will. Your boss's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Come on, somebody. 
somebody is in the hand of the Lord, and he will turn it wherever he will. God calls us to rise up as a church and to be that light and to be that salt. And regardless of what happens around us, we do our part, and the rest is God's responsibility. The rest is his. I'm not telling you that, I, I believe, I, you know what, I think God's big enough that from Pennsylvania Avenue, that revival can flow down. I do. I think God's that big. But regardless what it does and he does there, I know my responsibility. I'm going to be the light and I'm going to pray. I know many, I don't know, you know, right, you heard the adage, you know, if, if you haven't voted, don't gripe, right? And, and, that, and that's a true thing. I, I'm, I'm inclined more to say, until you've interceded for our government, zip it. Listen, the God of the Bible does not run on the backs of elephants and donkeys. <laughs> our God is sovereign. Our, God is not connected or you know it's not not one party or the other is 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 god's party god is about his agenda it's about his agenda it's our responsibility to be the salt it's our responsibility to permeate the culture it's our responsibility to pray it's our responsibility to obey and the rest is up to him I mean, you know the verse, 2 Chronicles 7, 14, of my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin and heal their land. Isn't that what we're after? And healing in our land? I mean, if there's ever needed a healing in our land, it is now. It is now. The scripture this passage goes on to say in verse 8, where thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. See, this is where it comes in because there were these people, these, these prophets that were saying, you're not going to be in captivity for 70, 70 years. But yet that was God's decree, right? And so God is, is, is speaking to that. He's answering to that. Don't let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. And do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I, do, I did not send them, declares the Lord. I talked about this some last week and the previous week. And here's the other point right here, is that we have to use both knowledge and discernment. We have to use knowledge and discernment. Listen, we need to be educated in who is running for office. We need to be educated for what they stand for. We need to be educated on particular parties' platforms. You hear me this morning. We, listen, you listen to the talking points. I mean, come on. <laughs> You need to be educated and you need to compare where someone stands to what the Bible says. I'm going to say that again. You need to compare to what someone says, what they've written on their website, to what Scripture says. 
Use both discernment. I mean, we talked about needing that discernment, that gift of discernment, of just of, of that direction, that impression, that still small voice from the Lord. And we see, I lost my, okay, yeah. So, I, and I do want to be cautious. I've, I've always taken the stance that in our church, I've just, whether it's true or not, but I've always tried to stand at a place, whatever I preach, whatever I speak, that half the people are of one party and half the people are of another. That's the way I've always tried to see it, perceive it, and to be cautious and, and careful what I say and yet still speak truth. But I'm going to tell you this morning that God made humans man and a woman. God made marriage for a man and a woman. God has knit us together at conception of life. The Bible says specifically, He knit us together in our mother's womb. And we believe that happens at conception, and life should be cherished. Let me be a little more direct. Abortion is murder. And I believe that I've, all, I've preached all of my life that we live in a season of grace. But I, I can't, what, I'm not backtracking on that because it is true. But I, I'll tell you something. I don't know that because of Roe v. Wade and how many millions of babies we've murdered, that judgment is not coming upon us. Our founders gave us freedom to worship in our constitution. We should vote for our religious liberties. These are maybe secondary. God, has, God made us different colors. And he placed us in different cultures. But he's made us one family. Unified under the banner of Jesus Christ. And I understand, I know sometimes... Right, It feels like the lesser of two evils. It feels like there is an unpalatable choice that we have to make. In 2016, David Jeremiah, I don't know if you're familiar with who he is, but David Jeremiah said this about the 2016 election. Everybody wants to find someone who represents who they are. Unfortunately, there is not anyone like that in this election, and probably not ever again. We are down to the point where we need to elect somebody who we are certain won't be against us as Christians who allow us to live out our faith. And so here's my encouragement to you. Hopefully you've heard the theme is be a biblical voter. And I, I think when I have it on the screen, I'm, I'm going to define what a biblical voter is. A biblical voter is taking on the opportunity and responsibility of expressing God's word at the ballot box. It is using our voice to expand the kingdom of God in our society through civil government. And here's the last thing I want to close with this morning is this. There is hope. There is hope. Jeremiah 29, 11 tells us, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future 
and a hope. And then you'll call on me and come to pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. We are here for a lifetime, but we are not here for all time. I mean, eventually we're going to make our way into eternity. And don't you long, I'll tell you more, the older I get, and the more I see the chaos of the world, Maranatha Lord. I long for that home in heaven, but I know that I'm still here. And I'm going to tell you that God can overrule what men rule. I said God can overrule what men rule. And I'm going to say again what I've said so many times. We, it may not, I mean, it, quite honestly, I think it's going to get worse. I hate to be that pessimistic, but I, I think it's going to get worse. I think the divide's going to get greater. I think it's going to get bigger. The only hope is, is that we be the identity that God intended us to have, and that is his church. I believe that if the church would wake up and stand up, it opens a door for something significant to happen in our culture, in our government. I think we can see a turning of the tide. I mean, as long as we're here, we might as well have hope. But regardless of what I see happens politically, I know that it cannot hold at bay revival. I know that it cannot hold back an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I know that it cannot hold back who the church is supposed to be. But make no mistake, I know it confronts many things of, 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 of deep-held beliefs at times. But we, as the people of God, need to see everything through the blood of Jesus and the black and white of His Word. Thank you so much for joining us today. I hope that this message was an encouragement to you. Remember, you can find more about us at odessafirstassembly.com and also across the social media platforms. It is our prayer that God blesses you, keeps you, sustains you. And if you're ever in the area of the Permian Basin, come and join us at Odessa First Assembly. God bless you.